Well, I want to thank you all for being here this morning. I also want to thank those of you who are watching online today. So glad that you could join us uh, on digital media as well. My name is Mike Evans. I'm the family pastor here at Journey Church International. And uh, as I just shared, we are coming off an amazing week, our amazing three weeks of, of ministry in the lives of young people and uh, all of us, really. God has just done such a powerful work at JCI. And isn't it incredible? Isn't it amazing to be part of what God is doing, you guys? I am so privileged, and I hope you feel it too, just what a blessing it is to be a part of what God is doing here. And another exciting thing that we've all been a part of over the past four weeks is a series where all summer long, uh, we've been hanging out on the countrysides of Israel with Jesus, really, hearing lots of stories that Jesus told called parables. We are in week four of a series we've been calling the parables of Jesus. So I would invite you to open your sermon notes from your worship guide, your app notes there on your phone, and uh, let's get started here on week Week four of the parables of Jesus. Let's start where we've been starting every week, defining what a parable is. A parable is from the Greek word parabolo, and it means to throw or lay or place alongside for the purpose of comparison. A parable is simply an earthly story that, uh, that is revealed to have a spiritual meaning for those who will seek out the deeper meaning of it. And last week, we were in the parable of the sower. Pastor Christian uh, taught us that if we have no roots, spiritually speaking, that we're not going to demonstrate any fruit from our life spiritually. And then he also shared that if we don't have any fruit coming out of our lives, uh, then we may need to re-examine our roots. And so I would encourage you, if you didn't hear last week's message, to check it out online. Um, and then uh, today's parable, we are going to be in... As I said, Matthew 25, and we are going to be teaching the parable of the 10 virgins. Yep, you heard me right. The parable of the 10 virgins. That's where we're going here today. Last week, we talked about dirt. This week, we're going to talk about the 10 virgins. Seriously, this is an amazing story, you guys, that tells us why it is so critical to keep our hearts and the hearts of our families ready for Jesus to come back. But before we get to that, I'd love to give you a quick snapshot of my life. When I was six years old, my father passed away of congestive heart failure. And four years after uh, my father passed away, we moved from one suburb of Dallas where I grew up to another. And when we moved, we were not a church family at all. I don't remember going to church at all my first 10 years of life, really. Uh, but we, my mom decided that we were going to go to church. I think she just realized that we could, she could spend three hours away from us on a week, and, and she thought that would be a great idea, my brother and I. And so uh, that summer, after we started going to church, my mom sent me to a camp in an area called Bridgeport, Texas. And uh, I honestly think she was thrilled to get rid of me for a week, and $55 sounded like a bargain to her, so she made it happen. So to make a long story short, though, at that camp, uh, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. It was at, um, I, think, I think I have a picture maybe that's going to go up. Yeah, there it is. Right at the base of where you see those three stone uh, pillars there, that's where I gave my heart to Jesus in Bridgeport, uh, Texas. Um, last week, if you remember, if you were here, Pastor Christian shared a statistic at the end of his message that 93% of families um, where the father is the first person to come to the Lord, the family follows we kind of did it the opposite way. And then he shared at the end uh, that only 3% of families, if a child is the first to come to Christ, um, then the family comes to Christ. I'm one of the 3%. Um, I came to Christ. And then the next year, my brother at that same camp gave his heart to Christ. And then the next year, we sat on my mom's bed and watched my mom give her heart to Christ. I was first. Philip, my brother, was second. And I was third. I'm a miracle, you guys. The only reason I'm standing here today is the grace of God. And if you knew my family, you would agree with me that it is the grace of God that you're here today, Mike. Um, 
So some of you, I think, uh, parents are here today because maybe your child, maybe you have a high school or middle school kid, or maybe you have an elementary or, or preschool kid who gave their heart to Jesus this past week, and you came because they asked you to come to church this Sunday, and, and you're here just to kind of check out what uh, this place is all about. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say how glad I am that you're here and how welcome we want you to feel for being here. We prayed specifically for you this morning that you would see what your child sees, and that is the wonderful name of Jesus. And, and the truth is this, that God can use a kid, and this is probably why I'm in family ministry more than any other reason, that God can use a kid to change the whole spiritual trajectory of a family. And I'm living proof of that. But the reason I tell you that story is this, is because of the, what I want to share with you next. When I was a young follower of Jesus, the first about five years of my Christian life, um, that mustard seed of faith was growing in me, but it wasn't very thick and it wasn't very strong. And I remember for those first five or six years as a believer, uh, I was terrified that I wasn't really a Christian. Every time I would go to church, I would walk in the doors and I'd be scared to death. I would be scared that if, I, if, I, if Jesus would have come back, that I wasn't really his. And, that, and if, and if um, he were to come back, that I wouldn't be able to spend eternity with him. I was a scared Christian. And the question that, um, that kind of comes to mind is, what was I really afraid of? And what I was afraid of in my early years in my Christian life was I was afraid that I wouldn't be ready if Jesus would have come back, that I wouldn't be prepared if he was to return. And today, what we want to look at in this parable are really two questions we're going to grapple with. The first question is this, are you ready if Jesus were to come back? Are you ready? And, and the other question we're going to um, ask and respond to this morning is this, how do you get yourself and others ready as well? That leads us to our two goals for today's message, really to be ready for the return of Jesus if you're not yet ready, and then two, to develop some compassionate urgency to get ready. In this series, we've been asking two questions each week of the text and of ourselves. The first question we've been asking is, what's the parable? What's it all about? And then what's the point of the parable? So let's dig into that first question. What's this parable all about? Matthew 25, 1 through 13, it's a plea to get prepared for Jesus's return. It involves a groom, a bridegroom, a man, and 10 bridesmaids called virgins. We'll get to that in just a minute. And a bunch of lamps. <laughs> And it has Jesus issuing a warning to his disciples to be ready for his return. Today's parable really puts side by side and compares a traditional Jewish wedding with the return of Jesus. That's really the point or what the parable is all about. So as we look into God's word together, um, we're just going to ask God to speak to us through the parable and to help us learn what God wants to say to us today. But a little disclaimer before diving into the parable. In this passage, you're going to hear that Jesus referred to the word virgins a lot. Let me explain what, what, what the context is saying in this passage. In the context, the focus here culturally, remember, we're reading a book that was written 2,000 years ago in a different language, in a very different culture than ours. The focus here culturally is on a woman's age without reference to spirit, sexual experience. Many commentators actually would prefer the translation, young women of marriageable age. Um, it's similar to like a maid or a matron of honor at a wedding. Um, you can be married or not married and stand up for a bride in a wedding. That's kind of the, con- that's kind of the heart behind this the, uh, the word virgin here in this uh, context in the culture. Um, so I guess one could call this parable the parable of the 10 w- young women of marriageable age, but that's kind of a tongue twister. So they went with virgins, I guess. So, so that's what we're stuck with. 
Uh, This conversation that Jesus has with his disciples takes place on the Mount of Olives in the last week of his life, um, a few days before he was crucified and then rose from the dead. So the urgency of Jesus's words here is pretty high, and the importance of Jesus' words here is pretty huge. And he knows, because he knows he will not be with them much longer. He knew his days were numbered. And so Jesus is making every word count, as if he didn't always. But right in this context, Jesus is really making every word count. He has just told his disciples in Matthew 24 that uh, the son of man, he, Jesus, would come at an hour when you do not expect him. He's talking about the return of Jesus. And so in this, in this conversation, there's some confusion among the disciples about what Jesus is talking about. They don't really understand what he means when he is talking about his return and the hour and not expecting him. And, and so Jesus helps them understand uh, the um, context and what he means by it by sharing what you see there in Matthew chapter 25. So let's listen in as Jesus explains to his disciples and helps them understand how important it is to be ready for his return. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It says this, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus speaking here, will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, let's go out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So the scene here drops us into a kind of phase three of what was likely a years-long uh, process of courtship, betrothal, and the wedding itself that's going on here. And weddings in that day in the Middle Eastern culture were way different than weddings today. Weddings today are way different. Like, let me give you an example of how different weddings are today than how they were then. Here's my courtship to wedding outline, okay? Um, I met my, my wife, Wendy, in May. She thought I was obnoxious and annoying, which if you would have known me at that age, you would have probably agreed with her. Some things don't change. Um, I started dating Wendy that uh, she finally convinced her to go out with me, and we started dating that November. We got engaged seven months later, that following June, on our seven-month dating anniversary, and we lived in California at the time. We didn't want to wait a whole long time to get married, so Wendy made some phone calls back to her hometown in northern Ohio where her parents lived, and literally over the course of a weekend, her mom called the church and booked the church house. She went to the town square, which the, the town that Wendy grew up in was 
kind of like a 50s throwback town. You know, just the downtown just looked like it hadn't changed in all those years and really kind of still looks like that. Uh, but she booked the photographer, the cake, and the caterer. The, our caterer was Uncle Dudley's restaurant. No kidding. All in an afternoon. The next day, we call, she called her Aunt Susie. I'm not kidding. She called Aunt Susie, and Aunt Susie committed to make her dress. Um, I went to a notebook and looked in a notebook, picked out the groom's tux, tuxes, and we got married two months later, and this summer, we celebrate 26 years of marriage. Okay? So it went pretty fast, right? Jewish marriages were a little bit more involved than that. There were three stages to a Jewish wedding. There was the first stage was the courtship, and this would take often years where families would get to know each other, and the families were very involved in the, in the process and in the uh, gaining of the hand of the bride in marriage. And then the second phase of a Jewish uh, wedding was the betrothal or the engagement period, and this is where the groom would go away, and we, he would go to his parents' house, and he would literally prepare a house or prepare a room that he and his new bride, when they got married, would live in, and sometimes this would take months, sometimes Sometimes this would take years, depending on how big a house he wanted to build and all of that kind of stuff. So you literally lived down the hall from the, from the groom's parents. So that's the truth. That's this, that was the custom. And then the third phase of a Jewish wedding is the one we kind of drop into in the story. That's the wedding itself and kind of the week leading into the wedding. And there were lots of customs involved, including the custom Jesus describes in this parable. So the setting of the passage is just prior to that third stage where the groom has gotten his room for his bride ready, and he's coming to the home of the bride to take her back to his home in marriage. And on the way, one of the customs is there's a procession of the bridesmaids, in this context, the virgins, um, young women of marriageable age who would come out to meet the bridegroom with these lamps. And the lamps would have rags at the top of them that were bathed in oil so that there would be fire coming from the lamps. And the, the, the virgins in the story, the, the bridesmaids, the women of marriageable age, were friends of the bride. And they would come out, and if you weren't prepared with oil in your lamp when the bridegroom came, you were considered a party crasher who didn't belong as part of the procession. You had to be ready when he came. And that's why Jesus says that five were wise and five were foolish. All the bridesmaids were invited to be part of the procession. Some were ready, some were not. So some were allowed to be a part of it and some were not. The question the text is asking us this morning is simply, are you ready? Are you ready? So to help us understand kind of the the implications of that question, let's look at four parable parallels that come out of the text. We've been doing this every week, some looking at some comparisons that we can draw from Jesus's parable here to life today. We um, so the question is, what do we learn from the parable about the preparation for a wedding that teaches us about God's desire for us to be ready for His return, and how do we get others ready as well? The first parable parallel I want to show you is this one, that everybody is invited to the great wedding. Everyone is invited. Not one of the people that was in the story was not invited. All of them were. They were responsible to be prepared to meet the bridegroom, but they were all invited. And in our lives, the parallel is simply this, that Jesus invites everyone in the world to experience his presence, to meet him, to know him. The point is that Jesus is always ready for us to come to him. There's not one person in the world whose God's arm is not too short to reach. There's not one person alive who's not invited to the wedding. If you are alive today, and you all are, God is in pursuit of your heart. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, he's pursuing you. Say, come, come to me. 
Come give your heart to me. Come experience abundant life before you die and eternal life after you die by having a relationship with me. If you, um, if you already are a believer, God is in pursuit of your, of your heart to, here's a Christianese word, to sanctify you, to grow you up spiritually and for you to bring other people with you to heaven. That's the point of why we are here, to invite people to the great wedding, to the return of Jesus. The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that, that Paul writes, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How many people does God want saved? All people. That's right. Second Peter chapter three, nine, uh, the apostle Peter says it this way. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. How many people? Everyone to come to repentance. That includes those here today who don't feel worthy of the love of God. That includes those here today who do not yet know Jesus personally. That includes those here today who do know Jesus but need to come home to Jesus. It includes those who have, an amaz- have had an amazing life to this point but feel like something is missing way down deep and you know you need, um, you need, you need hope and you need Jesus is really who you need. It includes those who are here this morning who are very broken. Can I just say it this way? Everyone is invited. In the parable, the bridegroom represents Jesus himself, and the virgins represent humanity. They represent us. And the question is, are we prepared for Jesus to come back? I don't know about you, but that's the kind of invitation that I want to RSVP for. I want to be a part of. And here's why. And this is the second parable parallel. Because not everybody invited to the wedding will be prepared. Being ready, being prepared for the return of Jesus is a choice. This one kind of seems unfair to me in some ways. I mean, why can't the groom in the story just invite the unprepared virgins in the story to be a part of the procession anyway? I mean, why don't the other virgins just share their oil? Like, what's the deal with all of that? Well, in the parable, we read of them and their lamps aren't ready for the groom to come and they're shut out of the wedding. But hear hear me on this. The shutting out of the unprepared doesn't mean that God doesn't love them in the story. Doesn't mean the bride doesn't, or the bridegroom doesn't want them to be part of it. It means that they chose to reject the bridegroom by not being prepared for his arrival. You see, in our, our lives, the parallel is that we all have a choice of who we're going to follow. We all have a choice. God gives, God loves us enough to give us that choice. And the question is, are you ready? Have you made the decision to follow Jesus? And I don't ask you that question to scare you or to frighten you or to make you feel nervous or uncomfortable. That's not at all. The scripture says that it's not the, the judgment of God that draws us to himself. It's the grace of God. It's the, it's the kindness of God. Romans 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 4 says it this way. It's God's kindness that leads you toward repentance. And if this morning you sense God drawing you to himself today, it's his kindness and his grace that's doing the work through the loving call of Jesus in his Holy Spirit. He's using the scripture to draw you back to himself. The third parallel is this, and I love this one. The wedding is worth the preparation. You see, in the parable, the wedding is something amazing, and it takes months, even years of preparation. And what is this wedding that Jesus is referring to? Well, the wedding is the return of Christ. It's referring to when Jesus comes back to take his people home to be with him forever and ever in his kingdom. And in our lives, The whole point of this, you guys, is to be prepared ourselves 
and to do everything we can to prepare others for the return of Jesus. That's a big reason why we exist as a church. It's a core belief of JCI, sharing Jesus. If you know him, you'll show him. And how valuable is this place? How valuable is this wedding? How valuable is heaven? Well, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 13. Flip back a few chapters, verse 44. He compares the kingdom of heaven where he will take us one day to two things. See if you can see what he compares it to. He says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. What was that field worth to him? Everything he had. Again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure It's a pearl. This wedding Jesus invites us to is one that we have to be prepared for to join him in though. But it's a celebration that I don't want anyone and God doesn't want anyone to miss out on. He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, as I shared earlier, we just got back a couple weeks ago from our Beach Bash summer camp. And uh, um, one of the, my favorite memories of Beach Bash happened uh, the next to last day. We baptized 23 kids in a very, very active ocean. And uh, one of the girls who was baptized, her name is Kaya Johnson. And actually, Kaya, um, she'll be a junior at, at Lee Summit North. And Kaya um, gave her heart to Jesus the week, the year before at Beach Bash 2018. And over the course of the year, she got this idea that she wanted to be baptized in 2019 at the same place where she gave her heart to Christ. And so, um, but she wanted to keep it a secret from her parents um, because she knew this, that her parents were going to be at Beach Bash because they both volunteered in our ministry and her younger brother and her younger sister were also going to be at Beach Bash as well. So she had this, she kind of conjured up this idea with us that she would be, that we would baptize all the students and then she would be the last one to be baptized and surprise her family with it. Well, something unexpected happened um, the day of the baptisms. Back home, uh, Kaya's mom, Jennifer, um, Jennifer's father passed away unexpected, not unexpectedly, but suddenly um, after a very long illness. And he actually passed away about a half hour before we went to the beach that day to get to do all the baptisms. So you can imagine how emotional the whole family was in this whole experience. They still don't know that Kaya is going to get baptized. So we baptized the first 22 students, and we had one left. And Pastor Ryan grabbed the megaphone, and he said, hey, we have one more baptism to do, and it's Kaya. Well, her parents, you can imagine, just lost it. And there were tears everywhere. Um, and, and Kaya came out into the water, and I was there, and Pastor Christian was there. And uh, we walked her out into the water with her mom, and her, like I said, with her mom and her dad and her, and her brother and her sister. And, and Pastor Christian kind of pulled us all together, and he, and he said, hey, Kaya, because your grandpa's now with Jesus, he wouldn't have been able to see this had what happened a half an hour ago not happened. But because he's part of that great cloud of witnesses, because he's in heaven now, looking down on us, he's getting to be a part of your baptism and to celebrate with you and to cheer you on as you're being baptized. And when Pastor Christian said that, I thought two things. I thought, man, that's really good, Christian. (laughs) And number two is that's so true. It's so true. Guys, heaven is for real. And heaven is a place I want everyone, Jesus wants everyone to experience. And as much as we can help it, I want to take as many people with me as I can. I want you all to be a part of that great cloud of witnesses. The fourth parable, parallel of this story is this, that a lack of preparation leads 
to a shut door. In the parable, Jesus tells those who didn't prepare correctly for the wedding that they don't get to participate. The parallel is this. In our lives, our failure to choose Jesus is actually a choice to reject him. You say, how so, Mike? How is failure to choose Jesus actually rejecting him. Well, let me, let me share the words of my favorite author um, outside of the Bible. If I could encourage you to read one book outside of the Bible, it would be Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I've taught it. I've read it many times. But in that book, Lewis says this about our, the power of our choice. He said, God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go wrong or right. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. Of course, God knew what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way. Apparently, he thought it was worth the risk. Jesus Christ gave his life to give you the opportunity to experience abundant life before you die and eternal life after you die with him. But he loves you enough to give you the choice. Choose this day who you will serve. That's the parable of the 10 virgins. So what's the point of the parable? Well, there's two lessons we can learn from it. Lesson number one, be ready for the return of Jesus. In the Activate podcast this week, Pastor Christian gives a picture I thought was really helpful. Um, He compares being ready for the return of Jesus to when he and Danielle, his wife, were getting ready for the birth of their first child. If you have a child, you kind of maybe remember these days. They didn't know exactly when Danielle's water would break or contractions would start, but when they did, they were ready to go at a moment's notice, just like Wendy and I were with our four kids when we were anticipating the arrival of those guys. And that's the kind of spirit that we need to have an anticipation of Jesus' return. So excited that he's coming. So ready for that to happen. Right, moms? Right? Um, so that you can hardly see straight, but busily going about our days following his call, doing what he's called us to do. That's the kind of spirit God wants us to have in anticipation of his arrival. So excited, so ready, so hopeful, but still busy doing his work while we're still here. But how do we do that? How does that look on a day-to-day basis? Well, it looks like this. Number one, I would say to make and keep a daily appointment with Jesus. To make and keep a daily appointment with Jesus. In the parable, the virgins are called to bring their lit lamps in the procession. Remember the story? In the procession for the groom to find his way to the bride. And the lamps in this story, and really throughout the Bible, are a hugely important part of the culture of that day. Every morning, let me give you an example of that. Every morning in the temple, kind of the spiritual hub of the city, the priest would trim the charred ends of the rags at the end of a lamp, and he would fill the lamps with oil and light them so they lit up the temple all day long. And then at the end of the day, the priest would make sure there was enough oil in the lamps to keep the fire burning all night long. First thing in the morning, light your lamp. Get into the word of God. Spend time with Jesus. Get a journal, get a book, get something to help you get your light lit at the beginning of every single day, that your, light, that your fire would stay lit for Jesus every day because you spent time meeting with him in the beginning of every day. And keep your fire lit throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, reflect on what God did during that day. Since I was in high school, I have spent morning after morning after morning. It's my, my kids think it's like Groundhog Day. Every time they walk downstairs, they see me sitting in the same chair with my same Bible, with my same journal. And I usually always have a book with me too. And right now I'm reading a great book called 66 Love Letters. Um, and every morning they see me sitting there. And they just, like I said, they must feel like it's Groundhog Day. And the reason I do that every single day, guys, is that how, that's how my fire is lit. 
That's how the day begins, to spend time with Jesus. Nothing will prepare you for, a, for the return of Jesus like knowing him well because you spend time with him every day. So make and keep a daily appointment with Jesus. If you've gotten off that track, if you've gotten off that train, get back on the track and get back on the train. And one, a little catchy phrase I heard years ago that I thought was helpful, maybe this will be the one thing you remember from my message today, that I say to myself every day, no Bible, no breakfast, no Bible, no bed. I love food and I don't, I don't go without breakfast, but before I have breakfast, I have the Bible and I love bed. <laughs> Trust me, I love to go to sleep at night, but I don't go to sleep without reflecting what God did in the day. And just a note to those here who are parents, who have people in your, in your lives who God has given you what, given you what I've called a, a relationship of influence with, um, whether you're a parent or, a, or someone who has influence on others, a coach, a mentor, a teacher, a boss, whatever it is you might do. Um, just, here's just kind of a side note here, and that's this, that, that the people who we influence, our children, others, they will catch how you live. Parents, they catch how you live. They see. Those you influence will see if you're getting yourself ready for Jesus' return by staying alert all day, by getting your lamp lit in the morning and keeping it lit all day and at the end of the day, making sure it's lit for the rest of the night. Every day, be ready. Can I say this to you? There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. We live in a world of shortcuts. We live in a land of microwaves and cell phones and instant gratification. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity, friends. It takes lighting your lamp every day, keeping your light lamp, lamp lit through the day. Easy for you to say, Evans. And, uh, and getting at the end of the day, being ready to go to, when you go to sleep, saying, God, keep my light lit as I sleep. On the forefront of our minds, though, is the return of Jesus. And if that's on the forefront of our minds, kind of that don't know when he's coming back, but I want to be ready when it happens, that leads us to the second lesson. That gives us a compassionate urgency. That gives us a, you say, Mike, what do you mean by compassion? That seems like a a weak word, maybe like a a feely word. And that's not what compassion is at all. Compassion is not weak and compassion is not feely. Compassion is an active word. Compassion means passion moved to action. You know, we talk of the things that we care about are the things that we talk about. And to be ready for the return of Jesus means not only that we're ready, but we have a compassionate urgency to get others ready as well. Those people we influence, the people we care about. If you flip back a few more pages to Matthew chapter 9, you see Jesus uh, going through the towns and villages. Why? Because he had compassionate urgency to bring hope and healing to people. He was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. He was busy, 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 right, in this scene, in this picture, But in verse 36, check this out. It says, when he saw the crowds, he stepped back and he saw the crowds. And the scripture says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is the Greek word splagna. If I was teaching high school kids, I'd tell them to look to the person to their right or their left and go splagna and try to spit it in their face. But y'all are grown ups. We're not going to do that. It means this. It doesn't mean I feel bad for you. It means my heart breaks for you and I'm gonna do something about it. And that's the kind of compassionate urgency God wants us to have. There's a wedding coming. Jesus Christ is on his way and he is on the move. The question is, are you ready? If you're not ready for the return of Jesus, can I say this with all the compassion and love I have in my heart? Get ready because he's coming. How do I do that, Mike? Well, you admit that you need him. 
You admit your sin. You admit, and then you say, and then you believe. It's as simple as ABC. You admit that you need him. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And then you confess with your mouth. The Bible says if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. There's a wedding coming. Get ready. There's also people here, though, who do know Jesus, but you need to come home. Maybe your lamp is, is, has flickered out and you need to get relit. This morning is your opportunity to say, God, forgive me for losing my focus. Forgive me for losing my way. Help me to relight that lamp through your word, through your people. Parents in the house today, can I just say this to you? You are the spiritual leader in your family. Jacob's Jam Week was awesome. But if you know anything about what our heart in, as a ministry is, it's not to be the ministry. It's to, it's to prepare you and to commission you to minister to your kids. We're the bump in the set. You're the spike. We've set you up. The question is, are you going to lead? Are you going to take the, the, the ball and lead your kids spiritually? That only happens if you have compassionate urgency about it, though. So have some. You don't have to be perfect you don't have to have it all together. You just have to be a little bit ahead of them, right? Just a little bit ahead of them. You just have to start. You just have to start. You just have to try. Because get this, you guys, they will do in excess what you do in moderation. If you get your lamp lit, they'll turn on fire. You hear me? Get your lamp lit. Parents, are your lights lit to the point where they lead your kids to Jesus? Is that the direction you're sending your kids and those you influence? That's the heart behind this. As I close now, I want to um, kind of close in maybe a little bit of an, ortho, an, an unorthodox way. You, if you were kind of tracking with me, you probably were thinking, Mike, you're just going to say, be ready that Jesus is coming back and have some compassion and urgency. Let's all pray together. But I want to kind of maybe turn things in a little bit of a different direction. I want to share a quote as I close from the, one of the most well-known atheists in the world. His name is Penn Gillette. He's, a, he's part of the magician duo Penn and Teller. And this is something that Penn Jillette says to us as Christians that I think is important for us to hear today in context of Matthew 25, 1 through 13. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means share your faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this, because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. Hear what he says here. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is way more important than that. A wedding is coming. Jesus is on the move and he's on the way. Are you ready? You don't have to be afraid. You just have to be ready. Are you? How do I do that? Give your heart to Jesus. Surrender your heart to him. Make that daily appointment with him. Keep that daily appointment with him so your fire stays lit. Parents, influencers, what are you doing to prepare your kids, to prepare those who you influence for him? Do you have a compassionate urgency? Guys, the most compassionate thing you can do 
for your family, for those you love, for a world desperately in need of a savior is to have some compassion and urgency. This world is screaming for Christians who don't just say they believe it, but they live it. Let's be that kind of church. Let's continue to be that kind of church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for Jesus' strong call in Matthew 25 to be ready, to choose to be ready because you're coming. You're on the way and you're on the move. Lord, I pray for any, any man, any woman in here today, any boy, any girl who they're lost and they don't know that they're invited to the wedding yet. I pray that in the safety of this place and in the quietness of this moment that they would simply admit their need for Jesus and believe that Jesus died on the cross for them and believe that Jesus rose from the dead for them and confess Jesus, I need you in my life. And that will make them ready. God, I pray for the person who is here this morning who is a follower of yours, but they've kind of lost their way. Their lamp has gone out and their light is not lit. God, I pray that you would relight that lamp this morning, that you would rekindle the fire that once burned bright inside of them and that they would come home to the welcoming arms of Jesus. Lord, life is not about making a living. It's about making a difference. And Jesus, I pray that the compassion that you had for us that led you to go to the cross for our sins would build in us a compassionate urgency